Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Annie AK. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it Still Great Bob? This week we're discussing Season 1, Episode 13, The Wheel, written by Matthew Weiner and Robin Veith, directed by Matthew Weiner. This episode originally aired on the 18th of October in 2007. Opening number one of the box office that weekend is the vampire movie 30 Days of Night, which I definitely remember Josh Hartnett. Um, and Why Did I Get Married? And the game plan fell to numbers two and three, respectively. The hit song that week was still Crank That by Soldier Boy. How long? I have questions about 2007. <laughs> You don't rem like this is wild. The least surprising thing that I've ever learned on this podcast is how <laughs> long Crank That has been at number one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell us about this episode, Matt. So this week on Mad Men, we close out the first season. Time is a flat circle, or maybe a three-dimensional circle, maybe a wheel or a carousel. And with time, we journey through it, and it takes us around. And as we move forward. We also look back. What did we think of the episode? Oh, it was a lot. It was a lot. I think I say that every week, but it was a lot. I feel like I say that every week too, but this one was a lot. But this one was also a lot of me shouting at the TV, which doesn't always <laughs> happen. So <laughs> at one point, I think I just said out loud, like, oh, this show is good. But I also said things like, <laughs> what the fuck? And also, yeah. Betty, don't. <laughs> At some point, I was sending Matt, like, popcorn gifts going, when is Melissa going to watch it? <laughs> I think all I said was, I think all I texted you guys was, oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> no follow-up. I assumed you just died. Yeah. No, it was a lot. And uh, I think one person, certainly, that we are all thinking of is Peggy, who certainly goes through a journey on this episode. So uh, when we really first get to encounter her, I think, is when um, Pete is still all about this promotion. He's really railing against uh, Don using Peggy as a copywriter for Clearsill, right? Is it Clearsill? Mm -hmm. And he's it like, is. she's not even yeah. a copywriter. She's just a secretary. And he, Don calls her in and goes, hey, you're a copywriter now. I feel two distinctly separate things because I'm really happy for Peggy. I know this is something she wanted and I was really excited for her when he did that. I was like, hell yeah, Peggy. But on the other hand, I was like, you are really going to give a whole person a promotion just to spite <laughs> Pete. <laughs> That's how much you hate Pete. <laughs> I mean, Don really doesn't like that kind of ego to work with. So it's not unsurprising. I do think, though, like... I was kind of on this on the the edge of like I can't believe you're just gonna use her as a pawn like that. But Kinsey is very like don't don't act surprised, don't act like mm -hmm. this. We didn't all see this coming that you don't actually deserve it. So I I feel like that kind of mitigated the the complete objectification of Peggy in that moment. Yeah, we've seen Peggy be successful at that job, so it's not like this mm -hmm. comes out of nowhere. It's just you know. Slightly fast-tracked. Yeah, what I put in the note, two birds, one Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we know Pete can be pretty friggin' 
petty, but I mean, Don's not above it too. His He just sounds and looks better when he does it. Don is much better at um, sneaking those those petty things into mm-hmm. his just daily activities. They're usually grounded in something. And I think, like, we also get to see, like, Peggy's growing pains where later on she's auditioning uh, the women for the for the radio ad and then working with uh, the woman that they chose. And she makes some mistakes. She's a little, a little confident, but at the same time, she still learns from them, too, and she goes back on it. So I think it's just, like, her finding her feet, and I think it's actually, like, cool to see her process all of that. Yeah, I'm, I didn't love the way that she was treating the women mm. when she was behind that sound booth, but uh, there's one line that I do love during that part um, because Ken's like, says something snarky and he's like, well, I'm going to tell them it was your idea. And she's like, it was my idea. And I'm yeah. like, all right, for sure. For sure. For sure. I'm like, I'm, I'm not behind all of your ideas here today, Peggy, but I do like that. Yeah, she stands behind them. She's a grown-ass woman. Well, because we've seen Pete do that, like, the opposite in the past, where they're like, hey, mm-hmm. I have an idea. And then when they get called out on it and may possibly, they're not sure if they're getting in trouble for it, they're like, mm, I'm going to just let Harry hang for this one. Just kidding. It's me. I did it. I, I was I was the one. I was one of them. Yeah. So I think she, she earns her promotion. It is kind of gross the way she is talking to the women, though. She, It's almost like she's buying too much into being one of the guys and how they operate. And not only just, like, you just see this poor woman just crumbling in front of her the more she, she pokes at her. Uh, she also just, like, kind of sets her up to be vulnerable and, and just, like, ready for Cosgrove to swoop on in and take advantage of her. Yo, why, though? I don't know. Because it almost seemed like that was her plan to begin with. And, like, maybe she just wants it to feel that way. But because I don't see any benefit of setting that woman up that way. And, like, she cried. (sighs) She did. And her name's Annie, so obviously (laughs) I'm going to feel something for her. The uh, I guess it's the radio spot for the relaxicizer. Is that what we're calling it now? Mm-hmm. The uh, the the product that we talked about last mm-hmm. week or, or two weeks ago. Um, doesn't that exchange and all that stuff happen before her promotion? And then yes, I think so. And then too, so I'm not. I'm just like oh, kind of yeah. think. I'm thinking out loud as to like kind of like you know why would you know Peggy play the play this game and kind of you know take on some of the the qualities of the rest of the the office um we've heard ken before early on when they're being kind of gross kind of sitting around in the middle of the office saying like bella jolie that's a good pitch she did that and then again if i'm remembering correctly when you know, Don's like, yeah, no, she's great. We'll put her on clear cell. And Ken's like, yeah, she was really great. You know, you should have seen her in the the recording booth and things like that, right? He so said, I... you should have seen Peggy. In... You should have seen her in the booth yesterday. She's like Kinsey with balls. And he did not say it sarcastically. <laughs> yeah. He meant it. it. Yeah. <laughs> he did. It's, and like one of the things that I know if I apologize, I'm probably sounding like a broken record. But tracking kind of in, in Peggy's arc is she she furthers her career. Um, 
is the ways that she then takes on these kind of hyper-masculine kind of, or appears to take on these hyper-masculine qualities as her career advances. Ellie, okay, you're okay. I know, I know, I'm bored. <laughs> I know. Um, takes on these hyper-mask, sorry, takes on these hyper-masculine qualities and how then she gets, potentially now she's a junior copywriter and we'll see in the future if and where that goes anywhere, but like Joan's not a senior copywriter and Joan is very feminine, right? So kind of looking at their relationship and that kind of dichotomy that's kind of potentially presented there as Peggy, you know, goes into season two and tries this this new position in a very, very male heavy um office and, and in that role, right? So I hate to talk about a woman like this, but I part of me does think that her gaining weight or what we sorry, what we perceive as just her gaining weight almost worked as an armor for her and kind of like desexualized her to the other men, allowing them to just see her as a person, mm-hmm. which I know uh, a few women have, have said similar stories in the past um, that, I, that I've known and, and I certainly understand this of just like losing weight and suddenly being seen as a, like a sexual object and then it becomes really distracting and uncomfortable and then they just gain all the weight back again. Um, so it's kind of like a terrible blessing that came her way. Um, but she does like, it is weird how she does adopt that kind of more masculine attitude and doesn't, and seems to be putting the guys ahead. And I don't know. I don't know how I want to put it, but you guys, you know what I mean? And and she's seemingly like, how do I want to phrase? I think she is getting ahead a lot on on merit and her talents because that is that's being rewarded and that that's being recognized Mm -hmm. right um full period or full thought period end of sentence but then too we talked a lot about earlier in the season i think i was lit back as episode two in in ladies room um about the idea of spaces and who's allowed in spaces and who's an invited in Mm -hmm. and we've seen kind of on the backhand Peggy being invited more into Don's office and the whole temperature of the conversations is, is a lot different. And it's like, again, to use Ken's joke or reference, I don't even know the joke, I think it was being completely serious, but the idea of like taking on those masculine qualities and being one of the guys and maybe for all this, all these reasons we're talking, she's more um, seen that way for, for better, for, for worse. Right. Mm. Like, he, she's one over Cosgrove. Do you really want his approval? Like, is that a good thing? When he looks at you with respect? <laughs> I mean, no, it isn't. But I was laughing because when you were like, do you really want Cosgrove? And I was like, I mean, maybe. <laughs> He's got the Ryan Gosling cuteness. He is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Should we talk about her fucking baby she has? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, guys, remember that time that Melissa, like, months ago or weeks ago, was just like, oh, my God, for a second, I thought she was pregnant, and I was going to get mad, and Matt and I are just like, <laughs> yeah, that would be I don't know. I, I don't know what I find more egregious, that they want me to, like, okay, how do I want to wear this? <laughs> 
take your time deep breath <laughs> they did this weight gain thing and so we had all these episodes of like not maybe not all these episodes of dealing with that but like that has been a thing that we have been discussing and i they have just put off me being annoyed that the weight gain was really a pregnancy because that's the only thing ever on tv fine but on top of that, you want me to believe that Peggy had no fucking clue she was pregnant this whole time? <laughs> That's what we're going with? Apparently. Apparently. Well, and that's too where I kind of... Are you telling me that this is all baby weight and it just... She's just like, this is what weight gain is like? Like, I've never been pregnant. I shouldn't, like, talk about this, I guess. And I'm probably going to cut it. But, like... I mean, they make TV shows about it, so I guess it's a thing. I just, it is very hard for me to believe that she did not know she was pregnant this whole time and popped out a perfectly normal-sized four-month-old baby. Haven't you ever seen in, uh, oh God, there was this, like, teen magazine that came out when I was younger called Twist. And I remember oh. they always had stories like that. Oh, no, like, YM had them, too, where they're like, I didn't know I was pregnant until one day I got a sharp pain in the lower back and I sat down on the toilet and there was a baby. Uh, or like, yeah. And doesn't doesn't some of that though? Can't we like trace back to um, abstinence only kind of sex education? Yes, and, like, for sure. Like that, yeah. right? and we're gonna have yeah. to get this back to a place that I can actually put it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Okay, so like one of the things I did notice was when she was in the hospital. One, you had a I, one just like professional props from one nurse to another to have yes, a very yes, like yes, open yes, she's yes. just like oh when the doctor's like is your husband should we call your husband or boyfriend and she's I, just like boyfriend. non-judgment of just like it's yeah. cool we've got it covered but they immediate- also say call psychiatry <laughs> yeah they're like this woman is in denial <laughs> she's not processing this well it may be better for the baby we're gonna need another expert so it's possible she could have kind of known this whole time, but also just been like, nope, take I'm on the pill. Uh, it's supposed to protect me. I've only like done it with Pete like the twice. That's I've it. never had a period before. It's it. Yeah. 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 We don't yeah. know her life. I have to stop pretending like I do. I, don't know. <laughs> I feel like this would have gone down better if I don't know. Is it is it the length? I don't of time? hate like, the if idea. It was... No, it's. It's the fact that she gained weight and that means she was pregnant and they tricked me about it for six episodes. (laughs) It was a very long time because you do kind of like just forget a little bit what she looked like at the beginning of the season. And I'm trying, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, there's never a place for a pregnancy storyline. Because that's not true. I watch Grey's Anatomy. But I don't know. Do you think it walks that fine line between, like, clever, subversive storytelling and just being manipulative and... and... I find it ridiculous, the idea that Peggy (laughs) is out here becoming a woman of the city and she had no idea she was pregnant. We saw Um, her get on birth control. True. But my mom thought that you got pregnant from French kissing for, like, way too long as a child. (laughs) And this was kind of her era. Well... And I think, too, like, when you're talking about kind of birth control and stigma and kind of sex ed and a couple of, like, and kind of this whole, like, you know, cocktail of of different things, um, 
We don't know. I mean, I think it's probably a safe read based on how the show's going that Pete is probably the father of um, Peggy's baby. I mean, that baby was born simultaneously to Pete's father-in-law telling him to be awake at night to make a baby. So it's definitely his baby. (laughs) Right? No, fair enough. Right? So, and if, if we're going back to the pilot... Um, when, you know, we know Pete shows up and, and Peggy comes in after his like bachelor party and things like that. Then that episode, there's that really awkward scene where Peggy gets on the birth control with the gynecologist. So I, based on my very limited understanding as a dude, um, I guess she, has she started taking it yet? It's not really effective. It's not working as it. It it would it's not or, or immediately, should, right? Yeah, exactly, right. So, it's it's definitely convenient for plot purposes, I guess, is what I'm just trying to say, right? Like you can you can make a case where it's 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 plausible, like you know, but it's also very convenient if that yes. makes sense. My feelings might just be hurt because I was tricked. I was tricked into thinking, oh, look at Mad Men, a show that let a girl gain weight and not have her be pregnant. Just kidding. Yeah. It's a baby. Yeah. I think that's super fair. Yeah. And I'm trying to pretend like maybe I would have been less annoyed if there were some other signs of her being maybe, like, thought she was pregnant and didn't realize how far along she might be. Like, if we saw her being like, oh, these boobs hurt. Or, like, in the bathroom being like, oh, no. There's nothing in these underwear. Like, you know, all those other things you see happen when they're trying to tell you that a lady in a show is pregnant. I don't know. Hmm. Well, and then that kind of raises the question, too, about diversity in kind of like writers' rooms. And I mean, obviously, that there's, you know, there are a lot of women, or, or, or there were not women, I shouldn't say there's a lot, but there were women present in, in the writers' room on Mad Men, but they weren't the showrunner that's a man right so I like wouldn't, and you, you from what we know it's not doesn't exactly sound like the most nurturing environment for speaking up ex- yeah exactly right so i just have to assume he was like no we're doing surprise baby everyone's yeah. gonna fucking love it guys we're doing it it's happening and like for yeah. drama sure let's have a baby I can't wait. But, like, for Peggy, I don't love it. <laughs> well, and and the timing, too, with, like, here's your promotion, congrats, you're a junior copywriter, and now you're seemingly a single mother? Like, that's, yeah, it's a choice. She doesn't seem to handle it well, either. No, that poor baby, too. For or after. It was a cute kid, from what I could see. Ugh. And even in the scene, he's like, you didn't tell me you were expecting. She's like, what? And he's like, you're yeah. going to be a mother. I still didn't think they meant right fucking now. Because, I mean, she is she was still comparatively small. And then that baby's full grown, all the way cooked. It's just... As as they often are on TV. Movie well, magic. Yeah, and that's, Movie yeah, magic. That's, yeah. that's just uh, child labor laws in action. <laughs> I, I can't remember what the... Laws. I can't remember what the minimum age is. I think they have to be at least like six weeks or something before they can be hired for a an on screen job. 
something like that. Before we move off Peggy and kind of continue the discussion, I do want to kind of just go back to the the promotion and as Joan is walking Peggy through um, Sterling Cooper to her new desk as a junior copywriter with what appears to be a very particular office roommate. Um, <laughs> that definitely I intentionally mirrors, you know, Joan and Peggy's introduction. The first episode is Joan is starting to give her advice and leads her to her, her desk as, as Don's secretary. Um, and there's a, there's a quote, I don't know if it's a direct quote or, or a paraphrase here that I, that I wrote down, but she, Joan says to Peggy, and we know that Joan seemed not happy with Peggy's um successes as a, a copywriter and things like that. Just recognize where you came from, or this new job might be doubly difficult. And just because you have a door now, like remember where you came from, sort of thing. And I thought that yeah. could be something. Didn't. Yeah, exactly. Interesting kind of to kind of peg as we go into to season two here. So. It is a, yeah, remember the little people when you get up there kind of thing. And uh, I liked how she's like, I said congratulations, right? And part of me is like, did you though? (laughs) Or are you just saying that? Because you're like, no, I'm super totally cool with this. I'm fine. I'm happy for you. Either would be very Joan, I think. Yeah, and it's definitely Joan to be like, all right, continue to be nice to my girls or I will have them ignore you. She'll take him. She'll take you down. And like, Peggy actually knows what power Joan wields in that office. Mm-hmm. So it's a good threat. Yeah. I guess just to set the scene a bit, then for for Betty's kind of, you know, the storyline in the this episode, Francine comes over. She's been waiting for Betty to come home, and in the car, Francine is you know looking more kind of less put together than we've we've seen her her before when she's come over to the Draper residence and she's distraught because she went to, you know, thought she had missed the, or had missed the, the phone bill and went to go rectify it and pay it. What she felt was deceitfully and behind Carlton's back. Um, so he wouldn't find out that she lost the phone bill. She finds out that he has a woman in Manhattan that he's been seeing at least twice a week and goes to Betty for, for comfort and consolation and, and kind of what to do as as their friends. Hmm. Thought it was interesting too because again we've been kind of tracking who seemingly has, you know, the power dynamic in that in their kind of their friendship because a lot of it's been Francine kind of talking at Betty, not necessarily with Betty and this is a bit of a, a reversal of that, but even in that Betty's smart, she knows what Francine is telling her is true. She knows Occam's razor. She knows Carlton's having the affair. She knows Carlton. She knows what he's like. Um, but even then at first in trying to console her, she's like, Oh, well, don't think the worst. It could be this. It could be that. It could be, you know, someone else. Like it couldn't be Maybe an affair. He's hiring I- a caterer to throw you a party. Yeah. Okay, Betty. <laughs> I wondered if like, that's what her mother would do though. That's, mm-hmm. that was what, what stood out for me. Yeah. Um, I do kind of want Francine to poison them all, though. I, I kind of oh love that. Oh my god, I loved it. She is just like staring off into space. I'll poison them. Yeah, she was I'll like have a house full of people. 
I'll poison all of them. She's poisoning every damn buddy. Her, her parents, her in-laws, her kids. <laughs> I describe her as shook. Yeah, she is. Because, like, everything has crumbled in front of her, and she's just like, well, time to wipe the slate clean, I guess. I feel like what Betty is doing could definitely be what her mother would have done, which would have mm-hmm. been, like, lightly trying to convince her to maybe continue to pretend like everything is fine and not make waves but also you know Betty didn't stay on that for too long she was very quickly like e okay well <laughs> you know but I feel like she would have she you know she had to do those things that's what she knows denial and I don't want to say naivete but a little bit of that as well um almost like te- willing naivete yeah 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 and just like testing the waters Hey, Francine, are, are you going to go for this? Are you going to go for uh, option A, <laughs> ignore, deny? <laughs> well, no? okay. I mean, because you imagine, you imagine that's what her own personal train of thought is, too. Like, I, has she said in the past that she just hears her mother's voice in her head sometimes? Like, you can imagine this is her automatic instinct to these possible something is happening behind my back is to be like maybe it's not happening and here's a completely ridiculous lie that i'm just gonna buy i'm just gonna say yeah this is it but like you said after a while she's like no this is too real can't stop hiding myself from it yeah and i definitely think that it's at this point that she starts realizing that she has been subconsciously kind of covering these same signs up in her own marriage mm-hmm. um, you know she doesn't say as much to Francine but we see her right after that kind of uh, pocket the phone bill <laughs> and I just thought it was interesting that like you said Francine often is the one driving these conversations and interactions she's the one who tries to rally up the other women against uh, some others who may not fit into like the perfect mold and it's like such a delicate like construct for her that now everything is falling apart she's always seen i think i think a lot of that is actually her trying to impress betty because she thinks betty is so put together but betty's whole thing is just an image too so now that everything is shattered she's just like has that far away look in her eye i just thought it was so interesting i was like betty is constantly just pure tension because she's trying to hold everything together and it actually works people do think she is that perfect but she ain't don is not much better than any of these other husbands no and when you take that phone bill like you know what's gonna happen you know what she's gonna find and Mm -hmm. i mean we is i think that she knows that she's gonna find something she's obviously assuming it's an affair but like we know that don does not conduct affair business out of the house but he does conduct hipaa violations (laughs) it's it's still like an infidelity it's just Mm -hmm. the breach of trust that she's not expecting and just mm-hmm. when when she's lying sitting in the the hallway leaning against the wall and that 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 shot composition where you see the railing and she was like that was yeah no i liked the the composition of that shot um why don't we think that i'm sorry if you, you covered this when i was putting the dog out that was crying so i apologize for that um once she opens the envelope and calls Dr. Wayne and finds out that that's who Dawn's been talking to. Um, she doesn't confront Dr. Wayne or 
and she doesn't like confront Don about it. So I was curious as to why you two thought that. I thought it was a really complex moment for her because on the one hand, it's just like, I thought I was going to find out my husband's cheating on me. Actually, no, he's just making phone calls with my psychiatrist that I tell every, or my therapist that I tell everything. And it's like both relief, but also just like, oh no, what's, what's happening? But I think she, I don't think she, it's hard to imagine that calling them both out would actually do much good for her. Because, I mean, I don't know if she was acting, but she says at the beginning of her next session that talking to him actually has helped her in some way. It actually does feel good with her and his dumb little notebook to be talking these things out. So it's almost like she doesn't want to ruin the whole game that they're playing because she is getting something out of it. Yes, all of that. And I think because she realizes that Don, in some way, is interested in her inner mm. life, and now she has a way to make him listen to her because she has seen that Don doesn't really take her seriously and doesn't take what she's saying seriously, but if he's taking the time to call this therapist, you know, X amount of time she sees on the bill, she, and it's another man, so I, in my mind, she's like, all right, well, Mr. Smart Guy, if you, if this is the only way that you are going to give a shit about what I'm saying and what I'm thinking, then I guess we're going to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And that's why she talks about him then. Right. And his and Don's lack of family. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like when she's laying on that couch and she's like, just me and you and your little pad. I'm like, um, she mm-hmm. knows. She knows. <laughs> and she says, I can't help but think that I would be happy if my husband was faithful to me. Like that is the most direct <laughs> shit she's ever said. Oh. If this doctor does not realize that she knows he's not a smart man. He did pause. And that's when he starts taking notes, right? Because when she's talking before, he's just sitting there. But as soon as she says mm-hmm. that, then like he has her interest and in his attention, right? I feel like his next call to Dawn is going to be like, she knows everything. <laughs> she knows about me and you, and she knows about you and all of Manhattan. So, In some ways, it's kind of like a weird breakthrough for her because she thinks that she's like messing and manipulating and playing this game behind their backs to to screw around, not screw around with Don, but to just kind of like get back at him and to him. But so many of her problems, I mean, like obviously her upbringing had a lot to do with it, but so many of the problems that are just like constantly causing this pressure on her, this weird force in her life that just puts her always on the edge it is dawn so she may as well just talk about him Mm -hmm. it is like so and i i think i don't know maybe maybe her therapist senses that that this is actually something real something that she has been dancing around and is now fully addressing and i think she says it too because she says you know She talks about how she knows about the affairs. She's, you know, she says she understands that, like, she should be angry and she mostly just feels sorry for him. But I think mm-hmm. most importantly, she says, uh, I suppose that this means that I'm not enough, but I don't know what else, what all she says. But she, the gist of it is, like, you know, maybe it's just him. Like, maybe 
he's not enough. Maybe he feels like he's not enough, so he needs mm-hmm. to go out and get all these other things. And that's what she, that is like the, the crux of what she's been struggling with. I think we know that she was brought up to be a pretty wife and a good mother and she's those things and she was feeling unfulfilled and I think that she's now realizing that that's not on her that's on Dawn and like hopefully she will come to also realize that like that's on her mom too for making Mm -hmm. her feel that way in the first place Mm -hmm. she's being honest now she's not hiding behind her pretty image it's kind of great. And January Jones is freaking fantastic in this whole thing. I love how she plays the the entire episode. Mm-hmm. We, some of us who saw the show before, we just did not appreciate January <laughs> Jones enough. I did not. I definitely did not. And she's spicy through this whole episode, too. The first scene with her and Dawn, she's, she says, like, I don't understand why you can't make my family your family. And I was like, oh, okay, we're saying things today. Like, Mm -hmm. we are saying things to Don. And um, I think she's already kind of realized that, well, she thinks it's an affair. She knows it's an affair, even though that's not what she, there's actually two things she has to find out. But when they're talking at the kitchen (laughs) table later, she thinks it's just the affair, and she says, like, she looks him dead in the face and is like, doesn't this mean anything? And he's like, eee! <laughs> I, like, we'll never know why anyone does anything. It is, <gasps> like, the, the affair, if anything, is just, like, a symptom of everything else, and she's just, like, mm-hmm. dealing with this shit. And uh, just sometimes in that in that conversation, even, it seems like she was saying things not just for her to get out, but also because she knows it'll get back to him. It'll, uh-huh. It's almost to help him and help their relationship, too. It's not just some self-serving thing. Because I, uh, she loves her husband. I do believe she loves her husband. She's getting so little in return lately. I just, just find her such a tragic person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of tragic, before we move on, uh, we have to talk about Glenn. <laughs> Glenn. I say his name with disdain, but I just, it's another symptom of a larger problem for Betty. I'm so uncomfortable with their relationship. I don't even like to acknowledge that they have a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that is weird. It's... Because we know Betty. We know what she goes through. We know she needs a friend. But like, she needs a real one, not a. And that is a child that kid. she has already been told to not be around. And he's old enough to know that this isn't supposed to go down. He's like actually afraid of like my mom. My mom might come back in any minute. Can I have my hand back? But he's it's too just... young to know how long twenty minutes is. Yeah, that's ugh. And it's way too much to put on a kid. Mm-hmm. On top of everything, the emotional baggage is too much. You can't put that burden on a kid. It's so unfair. He's not equipped to handle it. and Or, like, the fallout. Because, obviously, if something bad happens, he's a kid. Kids are narcissists. They think everything is their fault. Or they think all the good stuff comes from them, too. It's just... I just get really yeah. sad for her. But it's, it, it's... It's not exactly grooming. But it's, like, not... Not that... 
Yeah, you don't get to use a small child as your therapist just because your therapist can't be trusted. <laughs> There's one you already pay for, Betty. And then we just have to remember that that kid is played by Matthew Weiner's actual kid. Oh, yeah. I had forgotten about that. It's never not... Um, it's a sticky, layered situation. So, Betty... Our sympathetic character, but also sometimes not. Yes. And like, if we, if we have to leave her in this season, I'm glad we're leaving her in a place where like, she is in like an honest place, I think, with herself to go forward. And she has, I think, figured out a lot more of her relationship dynamics. And it just is going to be much better equipped, you know, in the future. <laughs> Yeah, this is actually something that she knows about Don that he doesn't know she knows. It does give mm -hmm. her some, some, like, I don't want to say power, but some kind of, like, self-possession or some, she's a little bit in the driver's seat, too, which is something. It's empowering, yeah. I think she finds that information empowering in a way. Yeah, and just that line about, like, maybe it's just him, I'm just relieved that she's not we know that she's not putting this on herself because she shouldn't because mm -hmm. none of this has anything to do with her. Oh, Betty. I'm just going to say this at the end of every character section. <sighs> it feels like that. And it's a season finale. Like, if if this show never came back, this would be a depressing ass show. Everyone, no happy endings, no sad endings. Everyone just kind of, eh. And not to, like, pontificate too much before we continue the discussion, but I think how low stakes but still high stakes kind of things feel on the show is something I appreciate because it kind of feels like life. Right? Where it's like, again, like like the state not, I mean, secret hidden pregnancies aside. Um, <laughs> if you can't put them aside, which like maybe you can't. But a, lot, but, but a lot of criticisms I've heard of people who try to watch Mad Men and just can't get into it is it's just nothing happens, but then things happen. Right? But then nothing happens. And that kind of, I think, is how life is like sometimes where it feels like nothing's happening but like everything's happening mm -hmm. it feels like the end of the world but also like okay speaking of end of the world pete <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> i think something finally pinged for me in this episode with peter as you know he talks with his his father-in-law his father-in-law talks to him or at him and then when again when peter's trying to again ingratiate himself a bit bit to dawn um i think peter's looking for a mentor mm. right i think peter's looking for someone that sees his value and like we we definitely know that peter wants to appear as, as you know being full of you know bravado and and definitely has that but the more I, I noodle it and the more I think about it and think about kind of the men of in this show in general 
how much of that is is put on and how insecure he actually is and that's why he keeps looking for for Don's approval and and like needs and it goes back to what we were talking about the last couple of weeks about not knowing Bert's comments about not knowing how loyalty is born mm. and things like that and like maybe I've been watching the show too much in the last couple of weeks but like that whole like hurt baby bird thing I'm like Oh, am I seeing that in Peter now? Have I been talking to our mutual friends too much? Am I, like, starting to, like, not like Peter, but, like, understand him more? Maybe? I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking for a mentor. Maybe I'm projecting. <laughs> well, I mean, after meeting Pete's dad, can you really blame him for looking for a new father figure? And what better daddy than Don? <laughs> Did I miss every other time that, like, Bert started referring to Don as Cowboy, or is that a new nickname? Oh my god. I don't know. I think I missed it this time, too. Because he did call him Cowboy, like, and we'll talk about it later, but I just, sorry, we'll come back to that. Um, Pete, sorry. Last, uh, not long ago, I found, uh, after we recorded the last episode, I found an article on Pajaba.com called An Ode to Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker's Hux, Our Favorite Petty Bitch. And it's a fantastic, fun article. And reading it, I'm like, hey, is this Pete? Do I kind of almost like Pete as a character right now? <laughs> like, I, I kind of almost get that that hunger for something, and he doesn't know what. He just has an idea of what it is. So he's just vying for someone who's going to get what he's looking for. I like that. I like it too, and then he does this shit like <laughs> comes home. Too petty. I'm pretty sure hammer drunk, and throws his coat on the floor like a toddler in front of his in-laws. He's after he convinced said in-laws to give him like an important account to give him a better standing at his job, when we already knew Trudy's dad, that's not what Trudy's dad wants for Pete. But he did it anyway because he loves him like a son. And like, how do you thank him? You come home and throw a fit. Like, yeah. he makes it so hard. Yeah, does. He certainly makes it hard for Trudy. And isn't he drunk because they're partying because he got that account? Like, isn't that why... Well, like, he stormed out of that's Don's right. office. Mm. And so... That's right, I, that's right. He had, like... I don't think he got drunk in Don's office. I think he went and moped at the bar. Right. Probably. Right. Because he knows it's kind of a hollow victory for him. Yeah. Even even though Cooper gave him a copy of Atlas Shrugged or Fountainhead or whatever Anne Rand book he's peddling today. Um... And Alison Brie is bringing that acting, and like what that—that's very small part she had. Just the eyes, the eyes. And when she's just trying so hard to cover for her husband, even though everyone there knows that it's bullshit. Yeah. And she just looks so hurt when he takes that and just sort of pisses all over it. He doesn't deserve her, or at least he doesn't realize it. He doesn't, and she doesn't deserve him. Like, no. in the way of, like, she's a good person. She does not deserve this. Does Petty Pete's objection to Peggy getting on Clearasel, that's totally his own insecurities about, like, their thing, right? Or do you think it's it's something else? I, I mean, it could be a lot of things. That could certainly be one of them. The fact that she's a woman 
could very also easily be one of them too. She's a secretary. He's been here on these accounts. She's just someone who types for him. And she's getting all this praise just because she has ability. Well, he already knows she has horrible judgment, so. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that. No, I mean, I think it's just to see someone, someone as, as delicate and fragile and insecure as Pete. I mean, man or woman or whatever, just seeing someone who comes from beneath him when he is unable to succeed based on merit and to see someone else do it, someone who really should have a harder time just by yeah, she's from basic Brooklyn. demographics. Yes. She's from Brooklyn. She's working class. She didn't really go to a fancy school or boarding, like boarding school. She's a woman. She's a secretary. What is she doing being successful? And then on top of that, she's being more successful than me. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, you know, it's just the plight of the insecure, fragile male ego. Can't wait to find out uh, if he's going to be raising this baby. <laughs> so Harry's sleeping at the office because... And his wife, his, friends. <laughs> his wife, Jennifer, kicked him out, assumedly because he told her, her what happened on election night, which I thought for the men of Sterling Cooper was interesting and not what the rest of them would do i was gonna say i don't think he was the kind to handle guilt well yeah and i assume he's just lying to everyone about his life at this point because if he tells the men of sterling cooper why he lives at the office now they're gonna be like why did you tell her you idiot (laughs) (laughs) well he doesn't tell jennifer that he's sleeping at the office he like tells her that he's staying at, at Ken's Cosgroves and it's like yeah he's a bachelor it's dirty what do you expect as he he sleeps in his office so I will take some honesty points away from him there but uh yeah that's it's interesting it is because she's still like demonstrating this uh concern for his well-being yeah and I know we're not technically on his side at the moment but then when he was like if you care so much let me come home I was like you know I don't think you're wrong I don't think you're right <laughs> but yeah it sounds like she's still processing this and yeah it kind of hard but i think just for me personally like if i was in her situation i would not be on this phone call so if you're giving into that you might as well just <laughs> i am a little bit of a petty pete it'd just be more like oh you're cold it's dirty good just checking <laughs> i just want to make sure you are miserable but then she like suggests that he like go to a hotel so she's willing for him to like spend his money for comfort like i'm like if you're at this point just let him come home and ignore him there yeah try to get something out of it make him do some chores (laughs) yeah no shit it's a it's an interesting choice on her part for sure I guess, you know, it could be, we don't know her. We've never met her. It could just be part of her guilt plan. True. I was a little <laughs> surprised to see Hildy still around. Oh, yeah. No, no lines, but there. She seemed fine. Good for her. Maybe it wasn't for his benefit that she was like, this doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, I do think it she's was. Like, oh. But... <laughs> yeah. like, maybe she's like, oh, he's going to have feelings. He's going to have them all over me. I'm going to get away. <laughs> Let's pretend. <laughs> Headcanon accepted. Hildy's doing just fine. Yeah, shout out, Hildy. Um, Harry's not doing fine, though. Harry's having feelings all over the office. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Unfortunately, the only person there to witness it is Don, who is also having feelings, but holding well, he walked out of He walks out of the carousel meeting with everybody. Oh, Harry? Yeah. 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 He's like, these precious photos of Don's fake life are too much for me. I have to go. But before, like, before we get there, they have that where Don walks out of his office and it's, is it before or after he, it's after he calls the, like, hotel Adam was staying at, right? It's after he talks to yeah so he is having a hard time because of the adam news and so he just sleeps at his office um which i was definitely thinking about like oh betty is thinking about you having an affair right now but really you're having an emotional turmoil but you can't tell her because this is not the life that you have set up for yourself and it's very sad sir it is almost like an emotional affair because it is him with a secret family in a way. His actual family. Like, like Betty's kind of the secret family. Yeah, like, what was he going to do? Come home and be like, my brother, who died? <laughs> I'm sorry, wait. Can we go back to the brother thing? And what was his last name? And what's your first name? And who are you? Who are you, Don <laughs> Draper? Oh, it's complicated. So just checking my like recollection of the timeline. So we have, we know that Kodiak's coming in and Duck's trying to get all these big fancy accounts. And that's what prompts Pete to get, get Clarissa one. Don doesn't want to go south for Thanksgiving with the in-laws. We get the, the whole Kodak account. He's working on that pitch. This is after he and Betty talk at the kitchen table. And he's like, yeah, Carlton. Yeah, he's a cheat. Never liked that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So he's there. And then Harry and Don have this conversation when he catches Harry with the smoking garbage can in his underwear as Don is working like that then leads to the carousel, the Kodak carousel pitch, which might be one of my favorite kind of pitches on the show it's but really bef- good it's so good but like he and but harry and don are just kind of like shooting the breeze a little bit trying to get to know each other and the whole idea of this is where like you can see don working to come up with the whole you know kind of nostalgia and wheel and like time pitch and mm-hmm. harry talks about this let me is it, how do you pronounce my french is bad it's a let's go the like cave mm-hmm. paintings mm-hmm. near um here in france um and harry and then paraphrasing talks about everyone talks about like the animals but he fixates on like the handprints and that's where you know don sends in the episode the mark of the artist on the idea of like i was here I'm seen, and I guess in the I was looking on the Madman wiki earlier earlier today, and the original line in the script was like the mark of the shaman, but um, John Hamm was like Don wouldn't say that, so that's where it changed to the the mark of the artist, which I think is interesting because it kind of changes the implied meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, but anytime I think about like handprints and like cave paintings and stuff, it kind of just brings up my leftovers feelings and it's Mm. like there's and i'll try to condense this down as much as i can and we'll probably end up cutting it anyways but in the second season and it's a reference a bit in the third in miracle in texas um 
there's that guy who says you can read palms and they you put your hand in the paint and then he looks it up like it's the x-ray machine and, and it's the handprint and in some of the literature about the cave paintings it talks about the the ritual it would have been to kind of get into the caves and and do the painting and yes it's you know could be something like the mark of the artist or you know like i was here but there was more than likely or, or possibly kind of more of that ritualistic element to it. Um, that kind of quest for understanding and meaning and kind of, I was saying to, to someone last night when we were talking about the episode, it, it not communion in like the Eucharistic, like Christian sense, but kind of a communion with the other or the divine and like the search for meaning and self and like something greater. So that then inspiring that being kind of nostalgia and the idea of looking back and looking forward, and then the journey that our characters are on here, while not overtly a spiritual journey, because I know we've talked about before for 1960, there doesn't seem to be a lot of, you know, kind of, for how waspy the show is at time, there's, you know, no one, no one, we didn't see no one going to church in like Sunday service in, in that sense. Um, but how they're kind of still on, this journey of self kind of discovery looking for meaning or maybe they're running from the meaning that they're seeking and looking for something greater, which I think from a certain point of view is still a spiritual journey in some senses. Mm -hmm. So that was the diatribe that my brain went on when they started talking about handprints and cave paintings. Mm. Did we want to talk about cowboy now? Cause that was actually before, right? Yes. Cowboy. Cowboy. I'm not I'm gonna go on a limb and say that that is not a an affectionate term. I mean it kinda like it isn't it like to me my read it like isn't it isn't where it's kinda like that like ah shucks like like you know and like oh you're you're the bad kid but at least you're cute and I can't not like you but you know ring it in home a bit and you know they don't like Cooper probably knows as much as Roger knows and like, Oh, you and Rachel Mankin don't, don't get along. I know you don't like her not knowing that he thought he liked parts of her or, you know, his version of her that he created in his head. Um, but it's like, yeah, maybe it's not entirely positive, but it seemed war. I think Bert was saying it kind of warmly. I don't know. Melissa, like he was like think? nicely telling him, don't yeah. fuck it. Up. Yeah. He might as well have been like, Hey idiot. <laughs> You know, like, when you love someone, but you want them to know that, like, you know, you're kind of, <laughs> you don't make great choices. Um, but just on Rachel, I'm glad to know that she will run away, but is smart enough not to do it with Dawn. <laughs> See, she went off to Paris just fine. And, you know, and she deserves it. It kind of killed me, though. I'm like, oh, Abe, Abe Menken knows what happens. Her dad knows. She told her dad. But I, I think it, it, it. I think it also totally tracks that Cooper was actually like it was kind of an affectionate kind of like the what what the fuck is wrong with you kind of thing. But also he was mad because he's proven he's shown himself a lot of times in the past. He's like the business is above all things. I don't care if you've got a secret identity and are just using a dead man's name i don't care i don't care i don't care don't let it get in the way of the business the business comes first so that's why like cowboy to me isn't the most affectionate term it is kind of like you do good stuff 
but you're also out there in the wild west where you don't necessarily follow certain rules and you could be super dangerous yeah and cooper made donna partner to make his life easier not so that he'd have to still <laughs> right. take these calls from clients being like what the fuck are y'all doing over there big clients too how did we feel about don finding out about adam and kind of mourning him did that did that work for you both or what what were your thoughts and kind of that that scene kind of at the before the pitch before we get into that um did it, it work for you i guess yes and it was it was very it was very sad but i am still more sad for adam than i am for don and i'm mad that the city took the money that adam left to the building oh yeah He's just a good kid, Adam. Uh, I feel like I I was kind of surprised that he he made the call because for a second I did forget that he didn't actually know what happened to Adam. Just that Adam sent him all the stuff. Didn't mm-hmm. necessarily realize he was getting a suicide note. So this poor guy who apologizes twice. I'm sorry to tell it to be the one to tell you this. So he says just hear from it from some stranger. Uh, yeah, it was. It, it was a hard moment because I think because Don thought he was doing Adam a favor, basically. He thought he was giving him the same new start that he had. The best advice he ever got. So with that in mind and all, you know, his Don's conversation with with Harry and then, you know, with 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 Betty and, and, and setting the tone, um, if you'll both indulge me, I want to read a section of the pitch from from today's episode this is don speaking teddy told me that in greek nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound it's a twinge in your heart far more powerful than memory alone this isn't a spaceship it's a time machine it goes backwards and forwards and it takes us to a place where we ache to go again it's not called the wheel It's called the carousel. It lets us travel away a child travels, around and around and back home again. A place where you know that you're loved. So Harry, in that scene, in that pitch, acts like I did last night watching the episode and runs out of the room with tears (laughs) in his eyes, full disclosure. Um, But I guess my question then for the both of you is that does Don's pitch then even work on don in that same way is that why he then goes home change seemingly having changed his mind looked at those lovely photos of his his wedding and the new year's and the new and you know baby baby bobby and baby sally and deciding that that is his home Mm. that like that's where the carousel takes him back to because he doesn't he's been he's been running for so long and maybe in that moment because like we talked about last week a man is whatever room he's in or or whatever the the quote was don's decided that in that moment he wants wants to be present for his family does does his own pitch work on him i guess is what i'm asking absolutely i think part of it is just the whole Adam thing made him really open to that kind of thing. I It may still work even if he hadn't found out about Adam. But it is... 
it's just more of his own personal tragedy where he's trying to sell the idea of the perfect family because he allegedly has the perfect family and the pictures show us that he did have a lot of joy in the past however many years he and Betty have been together making a family but at the same time like the formative years when your idea of family is often formed he didn't really have that like he's nostalgic for something that didn't really happen as opposed to Harry who actually like had this like lovely relationship with his wife I think that's part of why he has this fantasy of going home, of making up with his wife and getting that beautiful smile from January Jones and the kids running to him into his arms and shouting his name and being really happy to be spending time with their dad. I think, I don't think he expected it to work on him that well. And I do think that Adam's death is a huge part of why it did. What about you? Melissa? Like, what strikes, strikes me about his speech is saying, like, you go around and around and you come back to the place where you know you're loved. As if this place where you know you're loved is this unmovable thing and you can move around it and you can come and go as you please. Like, you don't have to put any work into that place. It'll just be there for you, which I think mm. is how Don has treated his family and his marriage. And then you see at the end of this episode what he expected when he got home because that's what he believes you know, his marriages. And when he gets home after this, it's an empty, quiet house because the, I mean, yes, love is unconditional, especially with his children. But like, if you put no effort into your family, like he straight up told Betty that he didn't want to go to Thanksgiving. She's, you know, she's like, I get the feeling you don't want to go. And he's like, oh, I thought I was clear about that. Like, that's not nice, sir. Hmm. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, like, you, he's put no effort into building home as a stable, fixed place. And I'm sad for him, but I hope that he's not surprised that this isn't what's waiting for him when he has done nothing to cultivate that space. I, it's a beautiful pitch, but I feel like he is kind of missing he I, he is taking Betty and taking this place where you're loved, this home that you mm-hmm. can rotate around and come back to. He's been taking that for granted, and I, it's sad and I hate it for him, but these you have to learn this. That's a really awesome insight. Now I'm just thinking about it. Uh, Don's not breaking the wheel anytime soon. <laughs> Get it? The wheel? Game of Thrones reference everyone yay no uh yeah no it's um listening to you think about that it's like it's just the highlights isn't it it's just the pictures it's just the highlights it's all the good stuff it's not all the hard stuff a lot of the hard stuff being his own fault but it's just him falling back again into that fantasy of him being the perfect all-american guy with the perfect all-american family And I'm not suggesting that any of those moments aren't real or are just completely superficial, but they're, they're just, they're not as grounded in a good solid core as they should be. There should just be more than like, oh, we're laughing on the sofa. I'm listening to your belly. The kids are super cute. We're on the swings. But it is also like the closest taste he's had to this family that he lacked growing up, the, the, the sort of dynamic he lacked. But 
you know, fantasies aren't real and his bubble, little dream bubble bursts by the time he gets home for real. And um, I actually wrote in my notes, too little, too late, as always, with the family and with Adam. And uh, he looks so much older sitting on the stairs in an empty home than he did in his fantasy as Bob Dylan plays oh, and it's so quiet in the house like you can hear the wind blowing before that Dylan kicks in you're like oh Don you came to your goddamn realization too late well and that's but sorry go ahead no I was gonna say but would it change anything in the long run I think that what happens has a better chance of changing things in the long run than if he really would have came home and found his family just waiting for him because that would have mm-hmm. been positive reinforcement of the way that he's been living his life this whole time. But coming home and finding an empty house and sitting on the stairs by yourself and eating what I assume is going to be like a frozen meal for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. that's going to be a bummer. That's going to be potentially a lesson, hopefully. A lot more show. A lot more show. So what are the chances of Don learning the wrong lesson about this moment? Oof. I was I I am hoping for no lesson rather than the wrong lesson. (laughs) (laughs) That would be preferable. What about you, Matt? What did you think of this last scene? Or sequence, I guess. I'd forgotten about the dreams or the like dream sequence. Like I that I'd totally like it, it worked almost like I was seeing it for the first time again because, like, that's what it it felt like. And, like, again, that, like, that nostalgia pitch with um, the titular <laughs> wheel. Um, definitely, like, had me primed in the kind of that that mm-hmm. melancholy headspace. So, like, well, well done, show. You got me exactly where you wanted. But it looked for me, and I don't necessarily don't know about kind of no lessons or right lessons or future lessons but like my readers this is a a textual visualization of who don draper slash dick whitman who and what he is or what he feels when he Mm. is completely by like yes he's by himself alone in the house but like who he thinks he is when he's Mm -hmm. deep down and what he necessarily like probably feels like he deserves and that's why he is always moving because if he stops moving and stops running and granted this movement and the running are all terrible choices that i do not endorse but if he stops that's what it feels like and that's why he never wants to stop yeah right and then and then the dylan kicks in and the the songs don't think twice it's all right and don doesn't think twice he just does. He just reacts. He has to keep moving. And it's interesting to note that, like, part of, like, from, like, a meta kind of production standpoint, um, Mad Men is generally, like, very particular about period-specific things, like, probably almost to, like, mm-hmm. a fault sometimes. Because you can imagine that it's like the, no, you can't have that color. They didn't have that swatch until 1965 or, like, whatever. But there are moments when it's it is anachronistic and that those are very intentional um and i looked up when this song was released and it wasn't until 1962 and we're november 1960 so it's still like evocative of the mood and the period but the song Mm -hmm. hadn't been released then so again it adds this layer of like 
intentionality. Just thinking back on like 2007, because I totally fell for it. I forgot also that there was a dream sequence and everything and, and uh, we get the, the nice dream, the version and then the reality version. I don't remember a lot of episodes ending on that note of uh, of not wrapping up everything so perfectly neatly, which it looked like it possibly could have done. It had that like beautiful Vaseline smeared on the lens, gla- uh, like gauzy filtering to it. Uh, what, just like thinking about that, how do you feel that compares to like other shows out at the time to what you see now? Like I don't feel... Like, nowadays, that would be a completely unusual kind of ending. Do you think that's something that would have been, like, really interesting or a little unsatisfying at the time? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Because, like, I think... And maybe it's just the media slash, like, an art that I seek out and consume. Like, if this was, like, a miniseries, it could have ended there and, like, I would have been fine with it. Mm-hmm. Like you know what I mean? I don't. But like it's it's hard to kind of. I don't know what else were people watching in two thousand and seven. Uh, I met your mother. So, uh, uh, that's our like two thousand three uh, or two thousand four. Sopranos. Right? But Sopranos. Like, yeah, yeah. Which admittedly I haven't seen, but I I think in that kind of two thousand and seven headspace that has been like, oh, this is artful and this is important because it's not all like you know tied up or whatever like it's not overtly cliffhangery but still like propels things and like you you feel things or it wants you to feel things but as an ending i never want this to be the ending did we anyone matt do you know if we knew at the end by the end of the season when it aired that if it was coming back or not i don't remember Mm. yeah i don't know that certainly would inform my opinion about it no, maybe I'll look it up for next time. Maybe I'll forget. But I mean, like, like looking at the body of work as like a season, and I mean, obviously, we know that there's like six more of them. Um, but what what I mean, like, I would have been fine if it was like a mini series or whatever. I don't necessarily mean that it's like a cathartic or like a satisfying ending, but like the melancholy and like the tragedy of it just kind of I don't know like things don't necessarily like going back to what I was saying before but Mad Men at times nothing happens everything happens Mm -hmm. it's kind of like life um we don't always get those like narrative like conclusions or those threads and like where it feels like realistic in a sense even though like I don't know it's it's just, it's, it's I, imperfect in a realistic kind of way yeah because i mean things don't wrap up yeah, in life but like somehow it also still fits narrative in the in sort of narrative form i yeah. i think i i can't remember if it was if we knew it was coming back or not but it does it's i don't think it's completely tragic in that it's like the super nihilistic thing where like this was always going to be terrible which i i i'm put off by nihilism no but it's clear that things aren't going to be they they aren't currently great it's it's really interesting balance that they've managed to achieve i think yeah and, and like if it was like the ending and there was no more like the ambiguity of that mm. i find interesting it's kind of like 
it's like the question like in Blade Runner, right? Whether um, Harrison Ford's character Deckard is like a replicant or not. To me, the answer doesn't matter. It's the question that's important, and that's kind of like mm. the, I, the 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 kind of the crux of like the for the film for me, like like the original Blade Runner. Um, so like this question of like, is w- what does Don do next? What does you know? What does anyone? What does Peggy do next? What does Peter do next? Like, we have this insight into who they are, the journey that they're on, and I I don't necessarily need. I feel like I need an empirical answer because like to like, cause we're talking about Don right now. It's like, does he take this to heart? Does he change? Is he stuck here? Is this like, does he not have like, you know, is he stuck on this wheel? All right. Where he goes through this cycle and comes back and then keeps, keeps running. I don't, I mean, we're going to find out, but like in this thought experiment, I like the uncertainty because you can mm. fill in the gaps, I guess. So much in this one episode. Including Harry Crane in his box. Nope. It's not even. Nope. Not even boxers. Those sweet, sweet wife. Uh, his briefs. My yeah, notes literally say, oh, Don and Harry live at Sterling Cooper now. <laughs> <laughs> I love how Don doesn't even like ask him what he's doing or what's up. He's just like, are we on fire? Oh, uh, no. This, my garbage was on fire because of my cigarette. Okay, let's go yeah, talk. You don't even need, need pants. Like, I was going to say, he doesn't even say, put on your pants, yeah. put on some pants and come join me. Nope, he's just lounge. Uh, yeah. How many of them have fallen asleep at that office? I suppose we're already kind of like in this 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 kind of mode anyways, but I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are then kind of as the whole, before we kind of move forward with whatever comes next, kind of thoughts on the, further thoughts on the season as a whole. I think I'm kind of struck by how much happened in this season. A lot of it I really thought didn't happen until season two. <laughs> um, and just everything we learned about the characters and how they developed as people it may not seem like much, but it is also so much. Some ways are also still exactly the same as when we first started. So it's a, it's a complicated thing, I feel. I think I'm very impressed with the writing. It's... I don't know if it's just being older, having been exposed to more, more pop culture and uh, literature and stuff. I just, I really appreciate it. I think, I think as much as I revered it when it first came out, I think, I think even more highly of it now. How about you, first time watcher? No, I totally agree. And I, the, the older I get, the more I love a show that makes me pay attention. Um mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time watching TV and doing something else. Um, And I know that that's how a lot of people still watch TV, but I'm finding I enjoy things the more they force me to, like, tune out the other stuff and put my phone down and really pay attention and really get into the nuance of characters in this show more than, I, I can't say more than any, but more than most is one of those shows where, yeah, you are going to feel like nothing's happening or you're not going to be invested in what is happening if you're not paying attention and you're not getting to know these characters. And the bonus of that is that these are great characters who are worth getting to know. I'm so excited for you. I'm so glad you <laughs> like it. Yeah, I do. I like it a lot. I just want all these sweet babies to be healthy. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> Matt, how are you feeling about this season now that we have finally reached the finale? 
I'm excited to kind of go forward and kind of, you know, dive in more and, and talk about, like, what happens next. But, like, yeah, it's it's been an interesting kind of trip through the first season. Because I definitely, as you said, Annie, appreciate it on a different level and more than I think I did before, even though, like, I really liked it before. I'm like, oh, well, teeny... 20-something Matt uh, still had taste despite how much he like liked and watched Entourage <laughs> at the time. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, so, like, there's that, but then it's just the things that don't work and probably didn't work in 2007 definitely don't work now in, in, in 2020 and kind of stick out more. So I'm kind of curious about, and something I'll be watching for as we go forward, is is how much more some of that stuff pings differently and sticks sticks out. Um, like, case in point, I was really taken aback when we started the season at just how bad some of the... I mean, all sexual harassment mm. is bad, but just how kind of over the top in the pilot in the first couple episodes a lot of it it was and it's it's still it's still there as recently as as last week and you know that terrible game they're playing at the party but like the show doesn't seem to be hitting us over the head head with it quite the same way so is that is it not as as present anymore maybe not as often Am I becoming desensitized to it again? Because well, I don't think that the three of us what the show's all interested in, that, or you know? like what? No, 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 no. I don't, I don't, I don't think so either. But it's like Roger is someone who I, I didn't, I had kind of complicated feelings about the first couple times I watched the series, and he's peeing really different, differently for me now, and like. That whole kind of trope of that kind of like mm-hmm. lovable cad, mm-hmm. I I'm finding I have less time for than I did kind of my first couple go around. A nuanced character um, he is not. But no, I'm I'm excited to kind of press ahead and. What are you hoping to see? I mean, I know Matt, you've already seen some stuff, so. I just want to see. Uh, I want to see Betty out here um with more control over her life and her relationship and agency oh my god that's the word i've been trying to think of for the past two hours okay yeah that's what i want (laughs) no agency yeah i want betty to be able to like move forward with some of the things she's learning um like i said i liked this heard this week you know saying real things to Don I hope she can continue I want to see Don in a place where he can actually hear these things and maybe Mm -hmm. like not I don't I don't know if he's self-sabotaging as much as like he's doing things and they're turning out badly for him Um, yeah less of that going forward maybe there are characters we haven't met yet that I'm excited to to meet for the first time again and kind of dive into them and how their history with with other characters that we've met and and what that means and what that that kind of represents 
Um, something I'm looking forward to um, to tracking is kind of like Peggy and Don and their relationship, and definitely um, kind of continuing this 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 um, reexamination I've been on about uh, about Betty specifically. I'll uh, I'll kind of echo that. The two of them are kind of um interesting contrasts and similarities and it's uh it'll be cool to see how that develops i want more joan yes yes more joan we've seen like hints at the the more complex side and more interesting side and all her potential so i want more of that i could do with not as much not too much roger yep (sighs) uh and the the Super complicated relationships between Pete and Don and Peggy. Mm-hmm. Always fun. Uh, yeah, and what's going to happen with Pete and Peggy? That's something I might as well look forward to, because that's definitely going to be there. One of my favorite characters isn't coming to the show for, like, another season after that. Dang. Or so. I know. So, I'm looking forward to it. In the meantime, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Yeah, Melissa? you can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M E double L double O Yellow. Um, as you learned last week, you can find me on Instagram hanging out with Flat Basley, or you can find <laughs> me co hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast, and we will be recording our um, like year end wrap up episode talking about. You know, the things we watched and enjoyed to finish out the year. So that'll be up here shortly. Yay. That sounds awesome. You can find me on Twitter at Pop Artery and on Instagram under the same name, P-O-P-A-R-T-E-R-Y. I also have another podcast. It is called The Daily Nightly with a K and an I and an I-G-H-T-L-E-Y. We are reading through all of Jane Austen with a good friend of ours, Jesse, and we were talking about different adaptations and just a joyful little time. You should check it out. And you can find me on Twitter at at Mattyhue, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also find my dog on Instagram, who obviously does not like being locked into the recording room with me, even though she had a bully stick <laughs> and water and it was all all great. You can follow her on Instagram at at dogtor, D-O-G-T-E-R-L-E Sattler. Um, she's really cute. It's fun. I don't post enough, but it's fun. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at, at @stillgreatpod. If you have any kind of questions, comments, want to correct me because the Bob Dylan song came out in 1963, but it was written in 1962, tweet at us. Um, definitely didn't look that up while we were recording and then correct myself on air. Definitely the thing that not happened. And in the meantime, please rate and review us on the podcatching app of your choice. Awesome. Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Later days. He is a daddy. A phrase I don't use often, but I feel like this one deserves it.